Welcome to PRN's Progressive Radio News Hour. I'm Steve Lindman. My guest is Stop NATO's Rick Rosoff. Listeners are familiar with Rick and the Stop NATO website, which I visit every day. And I strongly recommend that listeners check out the site every day to find out the things going on. You'll never get on your local newscasts or on the major national ones or in the New York Times or in Chicago, where Rick and I live, in the Chicago Tribune. But you will get it on Stop NATO. You will get it on this program, and you will get it on other responsible alternative media websites. Those are the places to go for real information. Rick, before we went on air, we talked very briefly about Francis Hollande and Germany's Merkel uh, meeting with uh, Poroshenko, uh, the oligarch, uh, so-called president of uh, Ukraine in Kiev today, then heading for Moscow to talk uh, with Vladimir Putin about coming up with, I think what Hollande describes as some, some, uh, some kind of a, a brand new idea for resolving the conflict uh, uh, peacefully and so on. Well, I think Rick and I both agree this is just a bunch of nonsense, and you have to separate the rhetoric from the policies. Rick, I may revise this, but I'm doing a very short article on this, and this is what I said. This, this is just the first draft of what I said very briefly. I expect that nothing will come out of the meeting in Moscow or in Kiev. Expect lots more death and destruction. And then I say, if Merkel and Hollande was serious to denounce Kiev's Putsch's government regime, I'm going to change that to regime instead of a government, support Donbass rebels' fight for democratic rights, criticize U.S. support for Kiev's regime and dirty war, refuse any cooperation with Washington's involvement, rescind their sanctions on Russia, resign from NATO, commit for peace, stop acting well, stop acting the way, stop acting like U.S. vassal states. Grow up and be big boys and act like independent countries. That's not, that's not what I wrote. But that's what I added. <laughs> well, of course, nothing like that is going to happen. Uh, I applaud your sentiments. I mean, that's, uh, they certainly need to be dressed down in that manner. Of course, we both know that with the uh, Euro, so-called Euro-Atlantic ties or Atlantis's ties between the governing elite in Europe and the United States, there's no chance that they're ever doing that. Uh, to, be, to get anywhere near the uh, reins of power in Europe, one has to be vetted uh, by the U.S. State Department, White House, Central Intelligence Agency, um, you know, the whole suite, uh, you know, before one uh, you know, gets elected to parliament in Europe. So this is a controlled system. It's a totalitarian system, and it's one that, uh, although uh, spanning the Atlantic Ocean, is firmly controlled from the uh, western end of that arrangement. Oh, indeed, Rick. There's just no question about it. I mean, nobody rises to the level of high office in, in a Western country unless they're very carefully vetted. Every now and then there's a mistake, but mistakes are corrected, either by getting them out of office or killing them, anything, anything to get somebody out. Uh, the lesson of Jack Kennedy was never forgotten in America, and uh, no U.S. president has dared defy the system. Uh, I'd, I'd love to see one try someday uh, with popular support to behind him or her, but it won't happen. And unfortunately, in, in 2017, Rick, We'll either have Neocon, or Jeb Bush's president, I imagine, or Neocon Hillary Clinton. Well, choose your poison, a death by hanging or death by firing squad. Yeah, no, you're correct about the, uh, um, the dynasties, you know, the Clinton-Bush dynasties that, uh, with the exception of Obama, of course, you know, let's say that Hillary Clinton had won the election in 2008 and Jeb Bush, you know, maybe in 2016 or something. Um, then you're talking about... <clears throat> You know, uh, five presidents in a row coming from two families who are intertwined. I don't know how many of your listeners are aware of the fact that George W. Bush uh, was asked about the presidential election next year and said that, I hope I get this right now, that the victor will either be my brother or my sister-in-law. 
the, the latter is a reference to the fact that Barbara Bush's mother stated a couple of years ago that um, Bill Clinton and George H.W. Bush have spent so much time together that she, Barbara Bush, considers Bill Clinton her son. And George W. Bush then refers to Hillary Clinton as his sister-in-law. So it's more than just uh, two dynasties. It's really one interlinked dynasty. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, Rick. I mean, a, a crime family is the only way to describe it. Uh, <laughs> making mafia crime families look saintly but in comparison. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's it really giving the crime syndicate a bad name, I agree. <laughs> well, of course, the real, problem, the real problem is more than just the individual damage they do by destroying one country after another. The real problem is we could be heading into another global war. And if it, if it turns out that America confronts Russia belligerently, we're talking about the possibility, the, the strong possibility of nuclear war. And the expression I like to use following that comment is, if that happens, it's curtains. Yeah, you're correct. And uh, generally, uh, well, let's say even a few months ago, perhaps a year ago, to have employed those terms might have been uh, exaggerated, sensationalistic, alarmist. Now I think they're, you know, if anything, they're understated. The, the, you know, the fact that somebody like Mikhail Gorbachev twice in the last perhaps six weeks has talked about the, the uh, not only the prospect of a nuclear conflict, but uh, that being rather imminent, almost inevitably growing out of a uh, uh, European conflict uh, of which... Uh, the Ukrainian war, which is now almost 300 days old, incidentally, you know, we should note, uh, that is a U.S. and NATO-supported war in Europe, which has cost the lives of several thousands of people, perhaps as many as 10,000, led to the displacement of over a million people, has, uh, you know, rent and uh, and destroyed uh, Ukraine irrevocably. There will never be a Ukraine again after this, which is precisely what the U.S. and its NATO allies prefer. Um, you know, their modus operandi, uh, they've done the same to Yugoslavia to Libya, to Iraq, to Syria, and um, they will not be satisfied until they've wreaked total destruction, particularly upon, I think this is uh, worthy of note, upon nation states that evolved out of the two world wars as secular, multi-ethnic, multi-confessional states. These seem to be at the top of the list of countries that have to be destroyed, and they are or at least nations that are being destroyed. And what we see now is uh, some particularly inflammatory moves that, uh, you know, suggest that we are, you know, on the very verge, on the very eve. This is something like August of 1914, and it's the best comparison I can make. Um, let's just talk, uh, you know, but what do we know? I don't know. Uh, the two of us know, and perhaps many of your listeners do, that uh, yesterday, U.S. permanent representative to NATO, Douglas Lute, that is the ambassador to NATO, uh, was remarking on the fact that NATO is now going to set up a uh, NATO integration center in Poland, and what are referred to as international headquarters, command and control centers, in six what are increasingly referred to now as frontline states. They are uh, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Poland, Bulgaria, and Romania. And that uh, Douglas Luth, the U.S. ambassador to NATO, yesterday said these will be the first seven NATO flags flying over east uh, cities in Eastern Europe, and that's true. We've also seen now the intensification of the quadrupling in the number of advanced generation warplanes that the U.S. and its NATO allies are running out of uh, Lithuania and Estonia. Uh, as was remarked by uh, somebody in the Russian defense establishment when they began 11 years ago, the, the air patrols in the Baltic states is being uh, with only five-minute flight from St. Petersburg, the second largest city in Russia, and only a 20-minute flight from Moscow, the capital. 
you know, we could go on all day multiplying examples of what we're talking about. The fact that it's announced today in uh, Barron's Observer that uh, NATO is going to hold uh, war games in Norway three years from now with 25,000 troops. This is in the Arctic Circle, very close to the Russian border. Uh, there were uh, war games, NATO war games in um, Norway last March, that is before uh, the annexation of Crimea, with 16,000 troops 200 miles from the Russian border. And this is going on in country after country. We should also know this is the year 2015 where the U.S. and NATO are planning to move 24 standard missile three uh, advanced interceptor missiles into Romania. And the list goes on and on. This is a buildup and a preparation for war, and I would argue imminent war. It's very scary, Rick, and uh, I've written about this for the last several days. The article I put out this morning is titled, it's on my blog site, it's titled, NATO Heading for War with Russia. I put a question mark at the end because, you know, anything could happen. Maybe we'll get lucky and there won't be a war, but we're certainly marching very strongly in that direction. And in my article, Rick, I include uh, Lute's comments about those those, uh, command centers in the frontline states and also Alexander Veshbo's comments that he made. He got a speech again a few days ago, very belligerent anti-Russian, anti-Russian speech, uh, barely stopping short of uh, declaring war on Russia. You know, uh, you're repeating one, the same big lies over and over again. And Vershbaugh, who you know well, you, you know of well, uh, maybe not personally, Rick, but know of well, uh, the fact he, he's uh, NATO's number two, but he's really NATO's number one, a former assistant uh, uh, defense secretary, U.S. defense secretary, a guy who's been involved, very heavily involved for years in expanding NATO encroaching closer to Russia's borders. And the whole idea, of course, is getting close, surround Russia with U.S. bases, and then institute regime change one way or another. If you can't do it politically or economically, we're heading, we're heading, for, we're heading for war. And if we're heading for war, we're heading for more than just trouble, Rick, as we both know. Yeah, by the way, I'm just looking at your article now. I'm, I'm sorry that I hadn't seen it before. Um, I did see the one preceding it a couple, three days ago, which was outstanding. And I, again, I believe you're fully justified in using the language you have with, with the subject heading, you know, with the title of it, uh, NATO heading for war with Russia. I think we can drop the uh, question mark at this point. Um, you know, we have to remember with uh, Versbau that he was also U.S. ambassador to Russia. Yep. So, uh, you know, his he's, um, if you will, a... Um, you know, Russia a hand. And uh, this is, you know, no doubt that, I mean, no surprise, and he's in, occupying the position he does in NATO. He is technically Deputy um, General Secretary of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. But uh, I don't know how many of your listeners know that for cosmetic purposes, the actual Secretary General is picked from one or another of the U.S.'s NATO allies. Uh, I don't believe there's ever been a Canadian press, but let's say from Europe then. Um, but the real power behind the throne, the real gray eminence, is inevitably the Deputy Secretary general who is always an American. Just as a supreme allied commander, Europe uh, for NATO, that is its top military commander, is always an American, and the deputy supreme allied commander, Europe is, or deputy uh, uh, commander, Europe is always an Englishman. So that uh, you know, for all the talk of being a uh, democratic organization of 28 member states, there is no question but that the southern and eastern European states are nothing better than, to use Brzezinski's terms again, vassals and tributaries, and they are indeed the frontline states, meaning that in the event of a conventional or nuclear exchange between NATO and Russia, they will be destroyed. And they are considered to be um, 
expendable uh, pawns on the chessboard, if you will, um, and then led in many instances, as in Estonia and other countries, by people, by uh, heads of state that were raised in the United States, worked for the federal government. They are janissaries who have been trained in the United States, indoctrinated in, in uh, pro-U.S. ideology, and sent back to their respective homelands or the homelands of their parents, in some instances, to govern them on behalf of the metropolis, which is, say, the center of the empire here in the United States. Well, that's exactly right, Rick. And also in the article, uh, the, the, it'll be a short article on the Merkel Holon uh, visit to Kiev and to Moscow. Uh, but I challenge them to stop being U.S. vassal states. Germany and France, I mean, grow up and be independent countries and stop being U.S. vassal states. And, and, and especially Germany, I mean, an economic powerhouse, absolute economic powerhouse, uh, again, very close to Russia's borders. I guess what Poland separates uh, uh, the two countries, you could Poland in between Germany and Russia. I don't have a map in front. Of me, but uh, but for Germany to, to to allow these sanctions to take place, uh, opposing the strong opposition of its business class, and I remember writing about that some months back before before Europe imposed sanctions because of U.S. pressure, U.S. businesses. I mean, the giant businesses of Germany, absolutely furious about these sanctions being imposed because they cut both ways and businesses being hurt. And Merkel did it anyway. Maybe she pulled back a little bit, but she imposed sanctions. Same thing in France. I mean, if they really wanted to show they're serious about wanting peace, they just rescind these things unilaterally and become independent states again. But as we know, Rick, that's, there's, there's no chance whatever of that happening. So we're hurtling ever closer to, to a major conflagration. And uh, if we had two world wars, Rick, as we know, it certainly is not out of the question that we can't have a third, the only difference being the weapons then were toys compared to the ones we have now. No, right, you are. And we have to uh, remember that Russia has been invaded uh, twice, you know, uh, without provocation, essentially in 1812 and in 1941, and both times through Poland, uh, through Poland, through Ukraine, through Belarus. Uh, but on the question of German um, national sovereignty, it simply doesn't exist and has not existed since the end of World War II, at least in the western part of the country, and then since the reunification in 1990. Uh, I don't know how many of your listeners um, are aware, several months ago, the uh, current defense minister of Germany. Um, uh, Ursula von der Leyen uh, was in the United States. I heard her on the radio. I heard her on national public radio. Is is, is I don't know how else to describe this, but a, uh, a, sh- a shameful, um, cra- uh, craven, uh, servile servant uh, begging, uh, you know, indulgence of its master because Germany wasn't sufficiently uh, supporting U.S. military, uh, you know, uh, obligations under NATO and so forth. And she, uh, you know, was. Uh, all but bemoaning the fact that it's so difficult to explain to the German people why their nation has to be a, a military appendage of the Pentagon. I don't exaggerate. I mean, it was it was a totally shameful thing. Any any German citizen who heard that should have hung their head in shame. But uh, such is the situation. Now, we have to remember the same Angela Merkel and Francois Hollande uh, who are going to Kiev and going uh, to Moscow, as you mentioned. In my estimate, this is uh, not an atypical situation on the eve of a war where you send a diplomatic delegation in to kind of assuage the feelings of the country that is going to be attacked, uh, you know, to buy time by, uh, you know, essentially, uh, you know, uh, a false assurance of negotiation, 
Republicans. This has happened repeatedly throughout history. These are the two heads of state who, with their Polish uh, colleague, sent their foreign ministers to Kiev in February of last year, a year ago, uh, ostensibly to negotiate a peaceful settlement between the uh, you know U.S.-led color revolution activist in uh, Maidan Square in, in Ukraine and the government, and then pulled the rug from under uh, Viktor Yanukovych and ensured the uh, coup d'etat occurred a year ago. So, you know, we uh, cannot expect them to be any different this time than before, nor, and I would, uh, you know, underline this repeatedly, nor can we expect Angela Merkel or Francois Hollande as heads of state to be any different than, um, uh, you know, heads of uh, France and Germany. Uh, to be any different than the heads of state of NATO members that they are, because that is their first obligation. And if they attempt, uh, you know, for public relations reasons, to uh, offer Russia something like a Mistral uh, deal with, you know, France uh, for um, uh, aircraft carrier, helicopter carrier, or Nord Stream uh, natural gas pipeline with Germany, uh, anyone who believed that either of those two um, um, uh, prospects were going to materialize really needs a serious dose of reality grounding, because the U.S. will never allow anything like that to happen. And until nations like Greece, Germany, and France pull out of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization and out of the European Union, they will continue to be vassals and tributaries of the United States. Well, the good thing, Rick, is that Vladimir Putin is no Neville Chamberlain. Uh, I don't know whether whether Hitler invited Chamberlain or Chamberlain invited himself. But the notion of peace then, of course, was a mirage. There was no peace because Hitler had his plans in place, and, and America has its plans in place. And Putin, Putin, unlike Chamberlain, is no dummy. He's no dummy at all. He's not going to fall for any ruse that's thrown at him. He's turned down other deals, too. The Saudis try to bribe him with billions of dollars in, in special deals uh, by lots of Russian weapons and so on. Uh, Prince Banda tried that a couple of years ago, and uh, Putin, in diplomatic language, told him to go to hell. So if uh, Holland and Merkel propose something like that, a special deal for Russia, I think they'll be told in the same diplomatic language to go to hell. And Putin knows full well that the promises can easily be betrayed. Russia has been betrayed so many times in history, and Putin, I'm certain, knows Russian history very, very well. And again, he's no dummy. He won't fall for this. So exactly what will come out of Moscow, I don't expect anything at all. Uh, I, I, I would tell Merkel and Holland if I, I was Putin, I'd go back to your capitals and start instituting the things you're talking about, and then come back and talk to me. And after you pull out of NATO, and after you declare an end of war, and after you've done this, and after you've done that, then we have something real to talk about. But until then, don't waste my time. No, I, I wish that uh, a real Vladimir Putin, rather than your uh, evocation of him, you know, would say something like that. I'm afraid we probably differ in, in our estimate of Vladimir Putin. I see him as someone who has been overly accommodating to NATO consistently uh, for 15 years. He's allowed, uh, you know, the, the airfield in Ulyanovsk in Russia to be used by NATO for the ongoing war in Afghanistan. He has never, uh, nor has any Russian government figure, to the best of my knowledge, called for the abolition of NATO. They seem perfectly content with it existing, which I believe is, is an act of something tantamount to treason, you know, given what, uh, you know, is NATO's in, um, encirclement of Russia and so forth. Uh, there was a statement today by Igor Gherkin, uh, who was a former commander of the um, uh, militias in Donetsk, Lugansk region, who said it was a, a historical error for Russia not to have intervened uh, in the Donbass region last year as they did in Crimea. Crimea. And that does not mean the deployment of military forces. It simply says, um, you 
you know, I'm using my words now rather than his, but I think the same theme, that at the point where the U.S. engineered a bloody coup d'etat in, in Ukraine a year ago, at that point, whatever junta takes power in Kiev has absolutely no legitimacy, and that the citizens in any part of the country that reject that military uh, coup d'etat, or that, uh, you know, uh, bloody coup d'etat, uh, have the right to expect the diplomatic and material support from any decent country in the world, including Russia, its neighbor. And the fact that the Russian government has done so little, Stephen, let's be perfectly honest about it, and in large part, I would argue, uh, you, know, you know, comparable to what NATO is doing, has led to the prolongation of this conflict, uh, where it's, you know, it's uh, 300 days in the standing. This is war on Russia's border. This is war that includes attacks on Russian checkpoints, that include Ukrainian military shelling territory inside Russia and killing its citizens, and on and on and on. I certainly believe that a Russian government that uh, was a little more farsighted, a little more determined, a little more principled would have done something more than allow this thing to fester indefinitely, and to be used as an excuse for the massive military buildup of NATO along Russia's entire western flank from the Baltic to the Black Sea. This is something that surely... Uh, any government that's uh, you know worthy of its name could have done something to retard or stop. Uh, I fear that uh, Russia has allowed this crisis to uh, to linger far too long, and it's irreversible at this point. Rick, I absolutely agree with you. I I, I, w- I wish that Putin had and would do something more forceful now, short of beginning a war. But I absolutely agree with you. Uh, He has let NATO literally surround him. The only missing pieces, I guess, the only missing meaningful pieces are Georgia, which is heading toward becoming a NATO member, and Ukraine, which really is heading in the same direction. It just may take longer. And uh, I guess that's a red line for Moscow, not wanting Ukraine to be part of NATO. But Putin and others have let this happen. And uh, Putin won't be around forever anyway. Uh, Medvedev certainly was less forceful than Putin is, whatever Putin has done, but it's a very serious situation, and the longer you let this thing go on, the harder it is to stop it. So when will Putin finally act? When when U.S. troops cross Russia's borders and attack? Is that what he's waiting for? I think he needs to be a little bit more forceful now. Uh, America likes to go to war or rattle this change against countries that can roll over easily. It can't roll over Russia easily, and if Putin acted forcibly, maybe Maybe, just maybe, America would back off a little bit, knowing, uh, you know, we can, we can roll over Iraq and Afghanistan. Of course, it hasn't really done that very easily. These wars continue, Libya and so on. But it certainly can't roll over Russia. And maybe there'd be some second thoughts. But who knows, Rick, because there are lunatics making policy in Washington, and anything is possible. And that's the thing that I fear the most, that these people can get it, could get us into a global war. And that might be the time when, for the first time, Putin does something. But he needs to do something forceful before that, hopefully short of, of, uh, of uh, confronting America belligerently. But I agree with you. He certainly hasn't done what he should do. No, you've raised several key points. And, you know, I remember years ago writing articles where I warned that, you know, as Alexander I signed a peace treaty, the treaties actually of Tilsit with Napoleon Bonaparte right on the eve of his country being invaded. And, you know, the Joseph Stalin's government in the Soviet Union signed a similar peace non-aggression pact with Germany, you know, less than two years before Germany invaded it. You know, certainly Russia should have, as you're indicating, should draw the lessons from history that you just can't trust people uh, who, who talk to you about peace while they're building up their military along your western border. And, you know, uh, once fooled, twice fooled, my, you know, my God, uh, you know, there's some excuse, but, you know, they set it up for a third time because this is exactly what's occurring. You know, we saw the, the head of the U.S., the commander of the U.S. Army in Europe, Ben Hodges, in Kiev last week. 
that is the top army commander in Europe, is in Kiev, you know, hobnobbing with uh, the, the U.S. Uh, you know supported um, uh, regime. Of Petro Poroshenko, uh, I can only imagine, you know, if uh, the head of the Russian military were to fly into Donetsk tomorrow, you know, the, the Russian <laughs> army, what the U.S. response would be. But again, Russia takes it and takes it and takes it, and every so often they'll, you know, issue some, uh, you know, uh, more or less obligatory statement, not to be believed, I assume, because it's, you know, it's never been acted on, that there are red lines here, red lines there, but the U.S. cross and NATO cross red line after red line, and Russia does nothing. They allowed Libya to go down. Uh, they intervene in a manner in Syria, but the war is still continuing. Um, they applauded uh, NATO's intervention in, uh, in uh, Afghanistan, indeed, even though that meant the, uh, you know, the installation of NATO military bases in former Soviet republics like Kyrgyzstan, uh, Tajikistan, and Uzbekistan, which is really uh, you know, the intruding into Russia's sphere of influence, surely. You know, it's near abroad. But anyway, be that as it may, what we now see is this uh, you know, the major, major military buildup. Uh, of a dangerous nature, uh, basically marking off with the flags that Douglas Liu alluded to, and you remarked in your article, you know, flying over uh, six capital cities in Eastern Europe, over three, uh, uh, three of those six, incidentally, former Soviet republics, four of those six bordering Russian territory, and the other two immediately across the Black Sea from Russia. If this is not a, uh, a, 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 a standoff, if this is not a declaration that we are moving to your borders and we defy you to do anything about it, then I don't understand this development. This seems to be exactly that. And, it, you know, it begs the question about, as you indicate, when, if ever, Russia is going to put its foot down and say, thus far, no farther. Absolutely. And I believe it was General Hodges, I assume in Kiev, awarded medals to wounded Ukrainian soldiers. There you go. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean these, these, these people are waging aggressive war against killing civilians, shelling them, murdering these people in cold blood. And, and the U.S. <clears throat> U.S. General Hodges awards the medals, the same as Netanyahu uh, uh, treating uh, uh, ISIS, uh, ISIS, Islamic State is what I like to call them, Islamic State wounded fighters in Israeli hospitals so they can go back to the battlefield and kill more Syrians. Uh, this is, <laughs> and he right. even allowed a photo op of that, which is absolutely astonishing to me. I don't know if there were, there were photo ops of Hodges uh, pinning medals on, on Ukrainian soldiers, at least maybe not in the Western media, probably in the Ukrainian media. But this is the kind of stuff goes on. And, and again, I agree with you, Russia. Uh, 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 Rick, when will Russia draw the line and say no more, do more than say no more, actually step in and do something to stop this stuff? It's virtually surrounded now by U.S. bases. How much more will it take? Divisions on its borders preparing to cross and have war with Russia. When will it put its foot down and say the red line was crossed and that's the end of it and challenge America? It's a lot easier to challenge America now than after U.S. troops have crossed the Russian border and the war has begun. Yeah, you know, I'm looking. You're absolutely correct. You know, by the way, I don't know how many of your listeners know this, but I'm. I'm this is from Etart, uh, from Interfax, so the, the Russian state media, uh, news media, uh, several months ago, uh, reported on the fact that Ukrainian government soldiers were being treated in Russian territory by the Russian government free. 
and that uh, Ukrainian aircraft are landing in Russian territory to pick up wounded Ukrainian government soldiers and return them to the fray. So this is, you know, beyond not challenging. This is really aiding and abetting. But I'm looking at uh, the, the um, uh, front page of Itartas, the Russian news media today. And here are typical stories. Possible U.S. arms supplies to Ukraine threaten Russian security, foreign ministry. Moscow concerned by plans to form joint Ukrainian-Polish-Lithuanian military. Well, Russian is concerned, and Russia is concerned. We've heard this for 15 years, but what has it done? It has done nothing. And the fact is the Ukrainian-Polish-Lithuanian joint military force has been in the works for 10 or more years. Um, the U.S. has been arming you know, and, and training with the Ukrainian military uh, for 20 years. Uh, and it's a question, I mean, this is nice for, I suppose, domestic consumption in Russia to periodically issue statements, um, you know, denouncing U.S. or NATO military moves. But, you know, words are cheap. And they're not going to stop, uh, you know, monster like NATO. It's, uh, you know, either uh, firm diplomatic, economic, and, and other moves. And by the way, there are military moves that can be taken that are not only not lethal, but are not even in military terms kinetic. That is, you can make military gestures that uh, don't involve, um, you know, the use of military equipment or armaments and uh, certainly don't uh, threaten human life. That nevertheless, nevertheless delivers a fairly firm message. I'm arguing uh, that's exactly what the U.S. and NATO are doing on Russia's border right now. Um, so, you know, the, the question remains that, look, we know for the last two or three weeks, according to the Ukrainian government press, by the way, um, you know, Interfax Ukraine, Ukraineform, and, and other union and other sites, that on a daily basis, Ukrainian uh, military forces, and these include the paramilitary fascist forces like the Azov Battalion and others, um, you know, are losing, you know, sometimes as many as 50 casualties a day, day in, day out. You know, maybe uh, you know, twelve killed and the remainder wounded or something. These are massive casualties. There's, this is probably the highest uh, um, sustained intensity of, of combat in eastern Ukraine since this war began on April 15th of last year, and something has got to break. This cannot go on indefinitely. The only Absolutely. question, Rick, the only, uh, the only question is who intervenes first. Yeah, exactly. Uh, a hint of just uh, how bad the Ukrainian military is is in uh, the article I got out this morning. Over the last two weeks, something like a thousand Ukrainian soldiers killed in the last two weeks alone, and who knows how many are wounded. I mean, the, and, and huge defections, and and the, and and the, and and the, and the, uh, young uh, Ukrainians called up as conscripts, conscripts not showing up. So, you, so you've got mass defections, uh, people crossing the border into Russia to escape. Uh, Inscription, uh, soldiers deserting, some of them coming over to the Donbass freedom fighters, others maybe blending into the local population, crossing the borders into Russia. They want no part of this thing. They don't want to be killing their own people. They don't want to be cannon fodder. Uh, the Ukrainian military, I don't think the Ukrainian military can, get, can go on much longer, Rick, without direct support, I would I guess, from Washington. And I'm speculating whether we're going to see U.S. boots on the ground in Ukraine. I would say there's a possibility that could happen. You know, you, you're uh, absolutely correct there, and that's my fear as well as yours. You're reading my thoughts and anticipating me. Uh, in that, uh, you know, in one sense, you would think the um, disaffection or the disintegration of, uh, you know, the so-called uh, Ukrainian government uh, forces in the east would be good because it would bring, a, you know, ace in the end of the conflict. However, you know, knowing who's standing behind Poroshenko and, and Yatsenyuk and company in Kiev, that is the U.S. and NATO and the European Union, it's actually bad. Uh, in that, the, the weaker the 
the Ukrainian military cannon fodder uh, are that are being sent out to, you know, to butcher and be butchered in the Donbass region, the more um, imminent uh, the prospect or the danger of the U.S. and NATO directly intervening becomes. That's what you're, I think you're indicating, and, and I agree with you 100%. That is the real danger. Now, uh, we're not privy, either of us, uh, here in Chicago to what you know, back-channel communications occur between governments and organizations. Uh, you know, one would like to have thought that going back to November of, of, of 2013, that the Russian foreign ministry or the Kremlin, you know, would have, uh, you know, let it be known in no uncertain terms what it was or was not, uh, you know, willing to tolerate in Ukraine, including mass disruption of the capital, you know, killing of police officers by setting them afire with Molotov cocktails, overthrowing a um, internationally recognized government, starting a war in April 15th, as we've talked about of last year, that continues and apparently can go on forever, uh, and that these things would not be tolerated on its border, on its 1,500-mile um, border uh, with Ukraine. So I don't know, you know, uh, what is being said behind closed doors, if you will, or, you know, through a crisis line. Uh, but, I, uh, but given the... Um, brazenness of the United States, NATO, and the European Union, I would have to assume they haven't been told anything that stopped them. Well, nothing is stopping them. I mean, this ugly business goes on, and my favorite phrase, Rick, is business as usual, and I see nothing changing business as usual. You can have all the meetings and all the negotiations and all of the things that both sides or all sides agree to. We had Geneva last April. We had in September two Minsk agreements, uh, a protocol and a follow-up memorandum, and uh, uh, straight away the Kiev government violated the terms and blamed it on Russia and blamed it on the Donbass. Uh, 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 self-defense forces, the ones I like to call freedom fighters. So they, Kiev commits the crimes, irresponsibly blames them on Russia. Russia, of course, retorts, uh, as certainly having a say on that, uh, denouncing the fact that it's being wrongfully blamed, but not doing anything about it. And the, and the uh, freedom fighters, at least, fighting back and, and battering the, the Kiev military. I mean, I, it looks like the Kiev military, Rick, is no match for these freedom fighters. That's why I suggest the possibility of U.S. troops on the ground intervening. You know, you could call it NATO, you could call it U.S. troops, and it's important to remember that America funds something like 75% of NATO's budget, so America calls the shots. What NATO does, NATO is just an appendage of, of the Pentagon, that's what you really ought to call it, and, and the countries, the member countries go along, especially the big ones, that, that would have the power to say no if they wanted to, but they don't say no. So again, you can have all the meetings you want, and all the agreements, and all of the photo ops, and when push comes to shove, we're going to see the same dirty business continue. And again, Rick, as you and I agree, we're perilously heading toward a possible global war, Russia versus America. And heaven help us if anything like that happens. Uh, you're right again on all scores. I, I'm looking at Interfax Ukraine now. There's a, a news story, and I'll read you the headline. Poroshenko may introduce martial law all over Ukraine if Donbass conflict escalates. Everything you read over the past two weeks, as you've indicated in the two uh, you know, um, uh, prescient as well as perceptive articles you've written uh, during the last week, uh, you know, indicates day by day, hour by hour, there is a new uh, indication that we're heading irrevocably towards uh, uh, you know, NATO 
Russia war. That's, I think, at this point, incontestable. Um, you know, I think what we're, I'm frustrated about is the fact that nothing apparently at this point can stop this uh, juggernaut in its tracks, and that uh, what you're looking at is, yes, the distinct possibility that if Russia feels it is, you know, to employ the cliche in recent decades, existentially uh, threatened by the U.S. and NATO, it will revert to the use of strategic weapons. This is, you know, the, the, the humanity is being dangled over an abyss. I mean, there's no other way of describing this. And even though there's a plan for the U.S. and NATO, I'm sure, to isolate this, and even if it does uh, you know, descend to the level of using uh, tactical or even strategic nuclear weapons to limit uh, you know, the, um, uh, the application of them to a precise geographical area inside Russia, presumably, um, you know, this is uh, what we're dealing with. And we also have to realize that uh, there's a meeting right now of uh, defense ministers of NATO in Brussels. Uh, Petro Poroshenko is going to the Munich Security Conference shortly, where it's already been announced he's going to meet with uh, General Breedloff, you know, the NATO commander, and Ian Stoltenberg, the Secretary General of NATO. Uh, a real question uh, is whether Vladimir Putin is going to go to the uh, Munich Security uh, Conference. And just as he was excluded from the Auschwitz Liberation Memorial Service in Poland recently, I think there's a distinct possibility he will be disinvited to the Munich Security Conference. And yeah. that, that will signal something, again, for anyone with a sense of history of the 1930s and the events that, you know, from um, Czechoslovakia to, uh, to the invasion of the Soviet Union. This is dangerously evocative. I might add, you know, since you're kind enough to um, put in a good word for the Stop NATO website, that uh, yesterday evening I posted an article where Germany and announced it's sending 1,700 troops to Poland for NATO war games. You know, what more clear, um, uh, you know, reiteration of uh, historical fears, um, you know, of events that led to uh, fears in Russia do, do you need? I mean, the German warplanes have already been part of the, the Baltic Air Patrol. We've talked about that as German warplanes in the Baltics within five minutes striking distance of former Leningrad. Uh, now you have uh, Germany announcing it's sending 1,700 troops for war games in Poland. Um, and this goes on. I mean, it's almost a daily occurrence that we're seeing things like what I've just mentioned, that, uh, you know, the billionaire oligarch Poroshenko is, is threatening to place uh, what's left of uh, Ukraine under his control, under martial law. That means war. That means all-out war. That doesn't mean, a, you know, civil conflict. That doesn't mean a counterinsurgency campaign or, as he tries to portray it, an anti-terrorist operation, the official name of the war. Uh, this means total war. And the uh, so-called Prime Minister uh, Yatsen Yuk, uh earlier declared a state of emergency, so I guess that's one notch below martial law, but we're heading for it, Rick. And, uh, and there was a thought I had, and I lost it. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, 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 other, the other disturbing element in this dirty business is the role of the major media, the scoundrel media, as I like to call them. And I wrote an, I've written a number of times about Putin bashing. I wrote an article yesterday, about, again, about outrageous uh, Putin bashing, and, and this time I Included the London Guardian, some of the, some of the most horrendous, outrageous Putin bashing was in two London Guardian pieces. One 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 a column by a, a contributor whose name I forgot. Timothy Gardner-Ash, perhaps. Uh, I, don't, I don't don't recall his name, right. but and then a, a Guardian editorial uh, a number of days before the article. But some of the most hideous anti-Russian propaganda in, in these articles. I mean, if you want to know the truth about what's going on between Russia and NATO and Ukraine, it's the exact opposite of what the Guardian reported and the New York Times reports and the Washington Post reports. Just this ugly, ugly stuff, Rick. And this is the drumbeat that can lead us right into a war, along with the, uh, the official propaganda coming out of Washington mainly. 
but other Western capitals. And again, we're we're over on time, Rick. But we can we can wrap this up by saying we really are da- dangerously on the cusp of another global war. And most people listening to this program probably are not old enough to remember even 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 being alive when World War Two was being fought. My dad was in World War One, and I remember World War Two vividly. No TV, lots of radio, but I was very very young. I never could imagine that I would grow up and face the possibility of another global war, but it is very serious, and we're literally risking the possibility of mass annihilation unless people get upset enough about this to absolutely rise up and prevent this. I think the only possibility for peace, Rick, looking out far enough, is 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 popular revolution, nonviolent, to to protect against the possibility of something as mad as this happening. And if people don't do this on their own, I fear the worst. No, you're you're correct again, and I'm thinking of you know the recent demonstration in Madrid and you know the political uh, the elections in Greece and so forth. You know people are willing to commit themselves to change around economic issues, but you know economic issues are a long-term perspective is is critic is crucial as they are. If you're talking about the scenario we've been talking about for the last half hour, so surely this has um, you know overriding um, you know the priority in terms of people addressing it. There need to be there needs to be you know mass public demonstrations against the prospect of war. This is as serious as anything can be. There's no way of exaggerating its, its significance or, its, or the severity of what we confront. You know, by the way, you were referring to the Guardian articles. I think it's worth noting because this, again, is a milestone in suggesting how close we're getting to out, uh, outright military conflict between the West and Russia. Is recently Strobe Talbot, who heads up the Brookings mm-hmm. Institution with Evo Dalder, yes. who is currently you know, heading up the Chicago Council for uh, Global Affairs, formerly Chicago Council on Foreign Affairs, uh, former U.S. ambassador to NATO under Obama and also a senior fellow at the Brookings Institution, you know, issued, you know, basically threw down the gauntlet towards Russia that was echoed, as you indicated, in The Guardian, particularly in a major article of about four days ago by Timothy Garden-Nash. So what you're seeing is major think tanks. People really run foreign policy, you know, in the U.S. and the West, you know, Chatham House and Heritage Foundation and Brookings Institution and so forth. They have and Atlantic Council here have prepared the groundwork for this long in advance. They're now signaling they're willing to escalate this to the point of outright military conflict. Rick, I wrote about the uh, Brookings and Atlantic Council and, uh, and, and, and Chicago group. I wrote about it and, and, and explained exactly who the participants were, about half a dozen of them, including a couple of ex-military guys and the uh, stroke Talbot, uh, the president of Brookings. I mean, hideous stuff. Li- li- literally the drumbeat marching up the war. Uh, Rick, you and I are on this thing every single day, and I know you feel the same as I, I do. I'm scared, and I know you're scared, and people need to find out what's going on, so they'll be scared enough to want to do something to stop it. Rick, I look forward to getting you back next month. We're out of time. Important stuff, and we will continue it. Yeah, thank you for your indispensable work. Thank you, Rick.